again this morning. What an incredible time of worship. Welcome to church. We are having church here today. Uh, also, do me a favor and join me in welcoming those who are at our Six Mile campus, our Lake Carroll campus, others who are joining us online. Would you welcome them today? Take your copy of God's Word and turn in the book of Romans to Romans chapter 5. We're going to begin chapter 5 today. We're continuing the message series, Too Good to be True. Because sometimes when you think about the things of God, that's exactly how it feels. It's too good to be true. Uh, Today's message, we're going to talk about how to experience God's best for your life, no matter what. And so I begin with a question. In your faith journey, do you find yourself leaning more on fact or more on your feelings? As, as you know, I, I've hung out in this kind of space all of my life. And for now a lot of years, I've been the pastor of, of a local church. And, and so I've noticed that people tend to lean one way or the other. In, in fact, online, we call them Theo bros, those guys that get so in their head, they're, they're so focused on doctrine and theology and discerning to get it right that, you know, feelings are always looked upon as bad. But I grew up in a home where my mom, her spiritual background was in the Pentecostal Holiness Church and it's a little more expressive, a little more charismatic and so experience your feelings were a big part of of your faith journey. What about you? Where where do you tend to lean? Romans chapter 5 reminds us of an important truth. It, It teaches us that what we believe about Jesus really should impact how we feel about life. In other words, our faith journey involves facts that then produce feelings. God wants you to experience his best for your life, but his best is not just what you feel like it should be. His best is not based on how you feel at any particular time, nor is it based on the circumstances or the situations in your life. His best is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary that's made available to you by God's grace alone through faith alone in who he is. That's his best for your life. So as we think about that today, I want us to pray again, and I want us to all just ask God to help us walk away with his best. And so we do different things just to aid us in our prayer journey from time to time. Today, I wonder if you might just hold out your hands, just the open palms before God, and really we're saying, God, I'm open-handed here before you, just fill me with your best. Would you do that? Let's pray. Father, again, in the name of Jesus, it's so good to be with you. Oh God, we have loved our time singing praise to your name, celebrating who you are, and now we get to hear directly from you as we read your word. So speak to our open ears. Give us those things we need to have. Teach us the things we need to learn. Make us more like you, Jesus. That's what we want. So that we may have your best. Take away our satisfaction with mediocrity and take take away those feelings of complacency. Lord, I pray for that Christ follower today that's 
just kind of been following at a guilty distance like Peter. Lord, may today be a renewing moment in their faith journey. And, and Lord, I pray for that person that doesn't know you. May this be the beginning, the start of their relationship with you, Jesus. But for all of us, we just want to, wait. We want to walk away changed. Uh, so Lord, let the words that I say and even my thoughts, make it be pleasing to you and pointing to you because God, you are my strength. It's in you that I stand. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of God. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Let's say that together. Let's say, hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us, you see, at just the right time. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This passage begins with that word, therefore, you know what we say, anytime you see therefore in Scripture, you need to look and say, what is that therefore? But it's more than that in the book of Romans. We're taught by theologians that there are four therefores in the book of Romans that, that literally tell us that whole, everything we need to know about our salvation, about what it means to be saved, to be justified. The first of those is in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. It says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. This, therefore, reminds us of our condemnation. And that's not fun to talk about, but that's, that's part of the message of Scripture, is that because of who we are, we are born not as just a good person. We are born condemned. The Bible goes on to say in Romans chapter 3 that all of us have sinned and we've fallen short of God's desire, in fact, His demand. In Romans 8, though, we see this surprisingly reversed. Romans 8 begins in verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Aren't you grateful for that truth? If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. Say, no condemnation. That's a big shift from where we were because what we had just learned was about condemnation, and now we see there's no condemnation, and I can't wait to get to Romans 8. It's like the Mount Everest in the Bible of all of Scripture, and it's packed full of good truth. But then there's another, therefore, in Romans chapter 12, it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if Romans 3 tells us about our condemnation 
And Romans 8 says there's no condemnation. Romans 12 says there needs to be dedication and transformation. But how do we get from Romans 3 to Romans 12? That's what happens in Romans 5. Because Romans 5 talks to us about justification. Look at it again. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember what justification is? The meaning of the word is found even in the sound of the word. So we're justified. That means we're made just as if I never sinned. God takes what was stained by sin and he cleanses it. He saves us. We've learned that there are three stages to salvation, right? I'm justified. That's when I am saved. But I am also being sanctified. So I'm being saved. That's how I'm being transformed into the image of Christ. And one day, thank you, Jesus, I will be glorified. I will be saved. Aren't you thankful for the promise of heaven and the hope that we have in eternity? Well, when we're justified, we're saved from the penalty of sin. When we're sanctified, we're saved from the power of sin. And when we're glorified, we're saved from the presence of sin. I'm so excited about a time when we'll never have to worry about sinning anymore. I get so frustrated with myself because I feel like I commit the same sins again and again. But there is coming a day when we'll be saved from the presence of sin. But what Scripture teaches us is this entire process is transforming us. We're made into a new creation We're different. And so in chapter 5, Paul's moving from these first four chapters where he's had argumentation for the gospel, and, and we're beginning to see a celebration of the gospel. In other words, the difference that the gospel makes in our lives. So here's a question for you. What difference is all this making in your life? That's what the world wants to know. If they hear from you that this is something they should experience, why? In in this particular church, man, we have thousands of members. In in fact, I was just thinking as we gathered in this space to pray yesterday, man, if, if all of those on our membership rolls on any of our campuses showed up, our, our services would not be able to contain them. That doesn't happen, though, because it it seems like for some that profess to have a relationship with Christ and and claim to be a part of His church, it it doesn't really make a difference in how they live. And so we think about that just in the sinful choices maybe that we commit, uh, but the reality is there are other ways to look at this. This relationship with God should allow me to experience Him in such a way that it changes me. It's different. So I want to ask again, what difference is the gospel making in your life? Romans 5 begins with this truth in verse 1. The biggest change is that we have peace with God. Did you know you need to have peace with God? This isn't a feeling. This isn't like, man, it's so peaceful. Or like, hey, peace, dude, groovy. No, 
Peace with God is the recognition that you and I are born at war with God. Do you understand that? It's not what some of us have been taught, that that you're born just one of God's children, that everybody's a child of God. That's not true according to Scripture. It's also not true that you were born inherently good and No, you're born bad, and you're born at war with God. The Bible even goes as far as to say that you're his enemy. But something's changed here. Because you've been justified, because Jesus makes it just as if you never sinned, you're no longer at war with God. You have peace with God. The war ceases. Peace is declared. Isn't that good? You can have peace with God. That's why in Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul says that there's more outflow of that in your life. When he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And listen to this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will then guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. But you can't have the peace of God until you first have the peace with God. Some of you want the peace of God, but the reality is you've never had the peace with God. And so you wonder, why don't I feel like I want to feel when you've never, in faith, turned to God and trusted in the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sin? Feelings are not bad. They're part of the way God created us. But our relationship with God cannot be based on feelings. So how about you? I've noticed people try a lot of things to give them peace. Some people just put on candles and then ask Alexa to play spa music. (laughs) Other people just like a long walk on the beach. That's like therapy. Some people think, Drinking a glass of whiskey or taking some other kind of drugs or other alcohol will bring them peace. But but that tells me that your understanding of peace is different than the scriptural understanding of of peace. What what God is saying is that feelings are based on facts. and, And so that feeling of peace that you have has to be based not just on something that's changed in your environment, but something that is factually true, something that you are believing in. And you know what I've learned? Too many people are basing their belief on how they feel. So it looks like this. I don't feel like God loves me. So he must not be real. I don't feel like God cares. So this must not be true. But scripture teaches that when we do that, we've got it backwards. We should base our feelings on what we know to be true. God's Word teaches us to believe our way into feeling. Because I know that Jesus will never leave me, I know I'm not alone. Because I know that Jesus promised to forgive me, I can walk in the freedom by His grace. Because I know that God loves me, I know that He will not let me go. Peace. But peace is not the only thing we experienced. Look on at verse 2. Through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Did you hear what we gain? We gain access. (laughs) 
That's kind of how I expected you to respond because you don't understand how big a deal that is. Do you know why we needed access? Do you know what the Jewish person who's hearing the Apostle Paul teach these words or have these words read would, would, would understand? They would know that all of their life, they've been taught they can't get close to God. In fact, when they were raised in that temple culture, they were separated from God by a literal curtain. But when Jesus died on the cross, an amazing thing happened. You know what happened? Listen to Matthew 27, verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Why was it torn from top to bottom? Because God wanted there to be no doubt who tore the veil. He wanted you to understand that he was the one that took away any separation and gave you the opportunity to have access to him. So now you hear that you have access to God. That's significant because access changes everything. A couple years ago, I I went to Washington, D.C., and I took a White House tour. Did you know if you're a citizen of this country, you can take a White House tour? You can go in the home of the President of the United States. You, You can even stand and right behind you are important places. It's a big deal. That's just a tour. But on that same trip, they gave me a badge. And because I had on that badge, I was able to stand right outside the West Wing. And and just off to my side in this picture were the presidential limos. That, That badge gave me a whole nother level of access. I experienced that years ago when I worked in Washington, D.C. for our our U.S. senator in South Carolina. I worked in Russell Senate office building for Strom Thurmond. And man, you could walk around those halls. And it's it's amazing who you would see. I I walked along the hallway as the vice president was walking by. I, I, I walked with and got on the elevator with famous senators and with news personalities. But you could do that too. The Senate office building is open to anyone. In fact, you can go knock on Marco Rubio or Rick Scott's door. They, they may not have time to see you today, but you can go in there. <laughs> but because I work for Senator Thurman, I got to do something else. Did you know that at the bottom of the Senate office building, there's a tunnel system that connects the Senate office buildings to the Capitol? And there's a train that runs between the two? And because I had, listen to this, a badge... I had access to the train, and I was a nobody. I mean, I was a young man who knew nothing, but you better believe I wore that badge proud, and I walked, and I walked right by security, and I just sat on, the, sat on the train like I was a U.S. senator. I had access. Are you beginning to understand how it changes things? A couple of weeks ago, I, I went to the Queen's Castle. <laughs> I, I went to Windsor Castle, and, and as we got there, I, I noticed something very important. The royal flag was flying. And you know what that means? The queen was there. The queen was at the castle. And, and, and I went on a tour of the castle. You can go on a tour of the castle. Anybody, you buy a ticket, you can go on a tour of the castle. But I didn't have access. And so the best I could do is look through the window and And look over to the queen's apartment and know that somewhere over there 
the queen was hanging out. See, access changes everything. And the Bible says that when you are justified, when you begin that relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ alone, by His grace, you gain access. Now listen to that verse again. Through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. What is the grace? In this case, grace is not God's mercy for our sinful choices. Grace is simply His favor. It's what we all desire to experience from someone we look up to. It's what every child wants. To know that their parents are proud this week, two of our boys started college. Um, I wrote each of them a note. And um, you know what I told both of them in that note? I'm so proud of you. I, I really think every child wants to know that their daddy's proud. It's the same thing an athlete wants to hear from their coach. Man, you're doing a great job. That was an awesome play. It's, it's what every student wants to hear from a teacher. That was, you knocked it out of the park. What a great grade you got on that test. It's what everyone wants to hear from anybody that they're looking up to. You want to have their favor. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, not only do you have peace with God, you've got access into the presence of God, and by faith, you get to have His favor. And you know what that does? What does it say? It helps you to stand. Some of you came in kind of wobbly. You're hardly walking through the church doors because this week has knocked you around. You don't know how you're going to make it through. And yet he is giving you the ability to stand because he's saying, hey, what more could you want? You've got peace with me. You've got access to me. And you have my favor. Isn't that good news, church? Isn't that great? When we respond... When we respond to the gospel by faith alone and Christ alone, through grace alone, we gain access into the favor of God. And he is for us. God is for us. So what could be against us? That's what I want you to think about. When you're going through difficult moments, remember, God is for you. When you have that health scare, remember, God is for you. When you're unsettled in your job, remember, God is for you. When you don't know if you're going to make it in your marriage, no, God is for you. When you don't have the finances to get to the end of the month, I want you to know that God is for you. And if God is for you, what could be against you? But I want you to understand something else. This is God's best. So what is God's best? Look back at verse 2. Through whom we've gained access by faith, thank you for the access, into this grace, thank you for your favor, in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And here's where it gets a little crazy. We rejoice. I, I don't always feel like rejoicing. This is a big deal to Paul. He mentions it several times in this chapter. He, he says when we're justified by faith, God gives us the ability to rejoice no matter what. 
That's what he was talking about in that passage in Philippians 4 that I quoted a little earlier. It begins by saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Then he goes on later and says, so be anxious for nothing. God wants you to have joy regardless of the circumstances of life. But it doesn't always feel joyful, does it? That's when we have to remember we're believing our way into feelings, not feeling our way into beliefs. So let me help you here. Joy is not the same thing as happiness. Your happiness is determined by those things that, think about the word, that happen to you or that could happen to you or you wish happened to you. And you're happy or you're unhappy based on those things. And when, you ha- when you're happy, man, it's easy for everybody to see you're happy, right? Just next week, thousands and thousands of, of men and women will gather in these large outside worship centers. And, and the bands will play. And, and then these two teams of people will get down on the field and they'll, they'll run back and forth Throw in a pigskin, a football, and, and man, when, when your team does well, it makes you happy, and you know what happens when you get happy because your team's, well, I mean, these quiet, reserved people who sit in church just like this, man, they're going to jump up, and they're going to cheer for their team, they're going to be excited, they're going, whoa, way to go, they're going to be so happy. When you're happy, you can't hide it. That's why as children, we learn that song, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. But what if you're not happy? What this verse is saying is that you can have hope even when you're not happy. Because hope is not dependent upon what happens to you. Remember hope? Remember the definition we learned last week? Having only positive expectations. Hope is the recognition that those things I hope for because of my peace with God, they are not affected by the things that happen to me, the circumstances of life. That's why the half-brother of Jesus could say in James 1, consider it all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish at work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's what Paul's saying. So look again at verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Wait, that has to be a typo. Let me read it again. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Man, it's really there. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that sufferings produce perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Remember those words? Let's say it again. Hope does not disappoint us because God's poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. God gives us the ability to have joy even in the midst of our circumstances. Why? Because He is with us. Occasionally I'll come in contact with someone and I'll say, how are you doing? And they go, okay, under the circumstances. And I always want to say, 
what are you doing up under there? Get out from under the circumstances. Don't let the circumstances dictate the way in which you experience joy in life. In fact, I want you to think about Jesus this way. Think of that word joy and remember this. Jesus is over you. Jesus is over you when you're lonely. Jesus is over you when you don't see the way out financially. Jesus is over you when your marriage is in trouble. Jesus is over you when you don't like your job. Jesus is over you when you get that call from the doctor. Jesus is over you when you don't understand what's going on. Jesus is over you. That's just another way of saying I can find joy from God because I know that he is the sovereign king of kings, lord of lords. Nothing catches my God off guard. He's over your family. He's over your finances. He's over your health. He's over your heartache. But I want to tell you, Jesus is not only with you, he, he may be right there in the middle of it, stirring things up. Because notice what it says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because of what the sufferings produce. They produce perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Sometimes God allows the difficult seasons of life so that our faith will be strengthened and our hope in Christ will grow. You know this when you've heard somebody say, I would give anything if I didn't have to go through what I went through. But I, would give any, I wouldn't give anything for what God taught me as I was going through it. Some God, sometimes God allows you to go through those difficult moments so that he can demonstrate his presence. Some things are more valuable than a pain-free life. I think I may need to say that again. Some things are more valuable than a pain-free and problem-free life. But you've got to choose to hang in there if you're going to get the benefits. And a lot of folks don't make it to this point. In fact, I would say perseverance is in short supply in our, our culture. The ultimate example of this is the all-time highs we see in suicide rates. But it doesn't have to go to that extreme. People aren't happy with how things are going in their marriage, so they get a new wife or a new husband. People get tired of the conflict in their job, so they think, I'll just get a new job. People don't like what was sung or what was said at church, so they just get a new church. That's our mentality. It affects the big things in life and the little things in life. We get tired of our house and it's not bringing us happiness, so we get a new house. We get tired of the car we're driving and it's not meeting our needs, so we get a new car. We don't persevere. And yet the reality is God teaches us in these moments of perseverance. It's in those darkest moments that we must run to the light of Jesus that's what Corey Ten Boone, who survived the Holocaust, said. She said, I never really knew that God was all I needed until he was literally all that I had. And friend, God may be allowing you to get to a, a point of brokenness so that you can experience what it's like to completely depend on him. 
My friend Dr. Robert Smith says, when faith is stripped to the bone, no marrow, no tendons, no muscle, no fat, no gristle, and all of our props and crutches are gone, our faith in God that He is good and is still on the throne is the only thing that will keep you going. Sometimes God wants to introduce you to your best life in the midst of what you believe are your worst moments. But you've got to be willing to trust Him in the midst of it. Maybe you just need to know this. God's greatest priority is not your happiness. I know that flies in the face of what some health and wealth or prosperity preachers and teachers would tell you. But it's just not. God's greatest priority is not your happiness, it's your holiness. He wants you to look more like Jesus. He wants to see that Romans 12 transformation. And sometimes that takes place in the dark. But I also know this. God's greatest purposes can always be trusted. I told you we're headed to Romans 8. We'll get there one day. You know that great verse, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who are the called, who love God according to his purposes. We make our plans, the Proverbs say, but his purposes prevail. When you persevere, it demonstrates your faith, and then it gives you proven character. It's like battle wounds. Raise your hand if you got some scars throughout life. And sometimes those of us that have lived a little longer, you hear some young whippersnapper come along and they act like they know it all. And what do you say? They'll learn. They'll understand one day. (laughs) You're a little battle weary. But you've got tried and tested character. God's worked in your life through the challenges of life. And that character leans in on the hope through the faith that God's given you. Well, friend, that's your best life. Your, your wallet may not be filled. Your car may not make it to the stoplight. Your, your house may need a lot of makeover. Those things are not your best life. Your best life is the peace that comes from being at peace with God. It's the access you have to the things of God. It's the favor you experience from God as you lean in with joy and find hope regardless of the circumstances. You say, how can, how can you know that, Pastor? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. That's his very next words. Look at verse 6. You see? So he's just said, sometimes you're going to suffer, but if you persevere through the suffering... That's going to produce character in your life. And that character will give you the ability to lean in and hope. And you just got to do this by faith. And then he says, why? He said, you see, at just the right time. Say, just the right time. time. (laughs) Now, say that. Say that like you mean it. Say, just the right time. time. At just the right time. When we were still powerless. Do you ever feel powerless? Do you ever feel weak? Do you ever feel like, I don't know if I can go anymore? At just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
And then he explains it. He says, now think about it. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous man. In other words, you know, occasionally somebody might step in front of a bullet for, for somebody that is very righteous, a good person. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God, <laughs> how much hope is found at the end of those two words. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want to give you three truths to help you have that best life. Number one, Jesus is always on time. Did you get that? At just the right time. And I'm just telling you, no matter what you're facing in life, Jesus will step in at just the right time. He will meet you where you are, and he will give you what you need at just the right time. Sometimes it's not the answer we want. Sometimes the, the cancer isn't healed. Sometimes our, our loved ones, they pass. Sometimes the marriage ends. But it's never because Jesus wasn't on time. Jesus is always on time. Number two, Jesus could never love you more. I just need you to accept that. No matter what you're walking through today, no matter what you've experienced in your past, the guilt, the shame that you carry, Jesus could never love you more than he does right now. How do you know that? Because the Bible says that while we were still sinners, when we were at our worst, he gave us his best. That's why I love the songs that remind us about his love. That little chorus I grew up singing, oh, how he loves you and me, oh, how he loves you and me, he gave his life, what more could he give, oh, how he loves you, oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Jesus is always on time. Jesus is, he, he, he could never love you more. And Jesus is always enough. Now, why would I say that? Because at just the right time, while we were at our worst, we were still sinners. What did Christ do? He did the only thing that needed to be done. And it only needed to be done once. Christ died for us. Remember, that's the message of the gospel. Jesus did everything that needs to be done so that you could look to him in faith by his grace and experience the transformation he desires. It's enough. 
So stop turning to those other things for your peace. They're never going to bring the peace. Stop looking in those empty holes for fleeting happiness. It's never going to last. But when you look to Jesus and trust him for who he is, he'll always be your enough. I was thinking about this message, and I thought about those memes that we see on the Internet. Now, if you don't know what a meme is, just Google it. If you don't know how to Google it, well, just hang with me. Anyway, those memes that say how it started and how it's going. And usually it's two different pictures. And so I spent a lot of, I wasted a lot of time just looking for some, some good pictures to demonstrate that. I just couldn't find either ones that were appropriate, hello, or, um, or ones that I thought were funny or would make the point. I did find there's a cute one of Simone Biles when she was a little tiny girl in a gymnastic uniform. And then it shows her the next one, how it's, how it's going. It shows her at the, the Olympics as an Olympic gold medal winner. But I gave up on that. Until this morning when I was looking for some other pictures, I I stumbled across this picture of me and my friend Rodney. Now, this is a cool picture because this was selfie before selfies even existed. I don't don't know how we did that. How did we get a selfie way back then? Rodney was born two weeks before me, and we grew up in the church nursery and in church, and he hung out at my house and I at his house for all of our life. We ended up rooming in seminary. I mean, he's a friend. And I, I saw that picture, and I thought, well, that's how it started. And so this morning early, in the morning. He lives in Texas. I sent it to Rodney, and um, he replied with this picture. Um, that's Rodney at my dad's celebration of life. You see, um, that friends, friendship, it started out in the nursery. But, but man, we've been so blessed. The Bible says there are friends that stick closer than brothers. It's talking about Jesus, but man, Rodney's been that kind of friend to me. So he flew from Texas to be there at my dad's funeral service. And, and so I thought about those two together, how it started and how it ended. I mean, that's the way it's supposed to be. What about in your faith journey? Is it going the way it's supposed to be? Or did you start on fire? Did did you start pumped up for Jesus, maybe at a a revival or a church service or vacation Bible school or youth camp, but somewhere along the way, you just begin to pull away and, and you just begin to fade in your faith and the feelings weren't the same and you let the feelings determine what you really believed rather than letting those beliefs guide your feelings. If that's you, then this message is for you. God wants you to experience his best no matter what. But some of you have never begun that relationship with Christ. (laughs) How it started was you at war with, with God. And the truth is, if we showed a how it's going... Picture, you're still fighting hell by the acre. You're at war by God, with God. And with the greatest love I can muster, I just need you to hear, it's never going to get better until you get to peace with God. 
And that's what he wants. That's why he demonstrated his love. Even as you are today. Christ died for you. Let's bow our heads together. So Christ follower, can I, I first speak to you? you? You know without any doubt if this life were to end today, you're going to be immediately with Jesus. You don't doubt that, but man, you're following at a guilty distance or you're, you've lost your passion or you're not living with that peace that comes from being peace with God. You're not living as if you've got access and the favor of God. You're not living with joy. You know, as I was growing up, there were moments of recommitment in church. What if this is one of those moments for you? And I don't know if you need to come and take the hand of one of the pastors who will be standing here. Or if you just want to come and kneel at the front of this place and make it like your personal prayer altar, just you and God, or whether you want to turn around and kneel at your seat. But, man, I would challenge you, Christ follower, if you're not experiencing that best life that we've just described with Jesus over you, man, then recommit that to him right now. That's what he desires. That's what he wants. Give it to Jesus. But somebody's listening today and you've never begun that relationship with Christ. You know it. You don't have to have a pastor tell you that. You know that if your life ended today, you don't know what would happen because you've never truly trusted Jesus. You've not looked to him in faith. Why not today? Why not cry out to him right now? Maybe you'd pray a prayer like this. Maybe you'd just say, Jesus. Just you and him. Say, Jesus. I need you. I'm at war with you. I don't want to be at war anymore. I believe you died for me, Jesus. To give me access to God. So I'm looking to you in faith. I'm trusting in you alone. Save me, Jesus. Just cry that to God. Say, save me, Jesus. I tell him, thank you, because if you meant that, he just did. Say, thank you, Jesus. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, just out of respect and out of reverence. If you just prayed that prayer with me, or maybe on your own, you just cried out, to Jesus for salvation. Would you just slip your hand up all across the room? Just slip it up. If you just did that today, that's the most important thing you could do. Welcome to God's family. I see a few of you out there. Welcome to God's family. Anyone else would say that today? It's the most important thing a person could ever do. Here's what I want to invite you to do. If you just prayed that prayer or one like it, I want you to come. I want you to take the hand of, of, of one of these pastors and I, I, I want you to say, I I just trusted Jesus, or I just got saved, or I just prayed for Jesus to save. However you want to say it, you just express it, and they want to pray with you. They just want to encourage you. Don't want to embarrass you or draw attention to you. Just want to encourage you. And there are going to be others coming because there, there are going to be people who are members of this church, maybe deacons, leaders, teachers that are saying, I want to get this right. I want, my, I want God's best. And they're going to be committing this moment to prayer. You're going to begin to see people kneeling. And as they do that, you step out and you come. So, Father... In the name of Jesus, we're just grateful for the opportunity to zero in on you and who you are and what that means to each of us. God, I pray that this would be a holy moment, a sacred place. Lord, I pray for those 
who've just begun a relationship with you, I pray that that'll be testified in this moment. Lord, give courage. Lord, I pray that many Christ followers would use this as an opportunity for recommitment. That um, our status or our fears or what we're used to would not get in the way, but we would do something to even visually drive down the stake that we want to get this right. Because you, Jesus, are our everything. You're our hope. You're the Messiah, the one who changes us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? You begin to come. Whatever your need, you step out. Just as others already are here, you come.